What I want to do today is I want to find out what the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians, inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so, what he had to say about peace. And in fact, I want to say it this way, what he has to say about having a pathway to peace. Now think about something as we get into this this morning. If we were to change our service around a little bit this morning, and if I was to bring a huge large screen TV and place it right here in the sanctuary and turn on any of the news stations, the 24-hour news, you could turn on Fox or CNBC or, or whatever. If we did that, what would we find? Well, for the most part, we would find stories about violence, about betrayal, about agony, and about war. I don't know the exact number I'm going to quote right now because I've been out of town for one week and just, and just got back and wasn't able to recheck, but as of one week ago, if you were to turn on the local news, you would find out that in Milwaukee, in this year alone, there have been 116 violent homicides in the city of Milwaukee. People killing people. That if you turned on Channel 4, Channel 6 up here, we would hear about today somebody who was murdered by somebody last night. That's what you'd see in the headlines of the news. If we watch the world news we would see pictures of refugees fleeing from North Africa and the Middle East, trying to find safety and a fresh start. You'd see some of those agonizing pictures of, of, of aid workers picking up dead children off of the shores because their boats flipped over trying to flee for safety. We'd hear the stories of people fleeing from groups like ISIS, people being killed simply because of their nationality or the religion or the particular tribal group that they're part of. We'd find in the news stories of robberies and carjackings and road rage. We'd hear the story that was now about two weeks old about the man in, in New Mexico, I believe it was, who got angry because somebody cut them off in traffic, pulled out a gun, started shooting in a pickup truck, and shot to death a little four-year-old girl. It was on the news last week. This is what we would conclude if we had a big screen TV up here and flipped through the news channels. We'd say the world is not a very peaceful place. Well, friends, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's addressing to Christians in Ephesus in the section we're going to read in just a minute. He's writing to these Christians in Ephesus to them about the fact that in the world there is no real peace, but that God has a plan that people could find peace, and that not only could they find peace with God, but they could live in peace with one another. And I think if Paul were here with us today and I put him in the front row and turned on the TV and he's watching the news after he got over the fact that he could see the news on a large screen TV and the idea there's such a thing as a TV, he would say, well, the world still isn't very peaceful. But then I think he would stop and go, but listen, friends, there's hope because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That's what he's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 2. So grab your Bibles. If you're visiting you don't have a Bible, you can either listen along or you can take a Bible from underneath the chair in front of you. If, you. if you need a Bible, that's yours to keep. We love giving away Bibles in this place. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 17, and see what we can learn from peace. Now I'm going to explain to you up front, Paul is talking about, so I'm going to explain this, about this in context of his day and the relationships between two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's going to talk about some language at first about circumcision and stuff. He's simply defining the two different groups, and I'll explain that as we go. So chapter 2, 
verse 11. We're going to read to verse 17 today. It says, therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles, and I'll explain what this means, Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. They might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. Kind of get the theme there? He's talking about peace, right? But I understand that the Apostle Paul is saying it in a way that you might go, I don't have one little idea of what he's talking about right there. We're going to explain it. Paul begins this section by describing the most non-peaceful situation of his time. And interesting, a non-peaceful situation that's still non-peaceful and a mess today. He's talking about the relationship between Jewish people and Gentile people. Today, this still exists. It's this relationship between Jews, those in Israel, national Jews in, in, in Israel, and the rest of the Middle East and North Africa who are Gentiles. Who are Gentiles are non-Jews, in this situation today, primarily Muslim people. And as we look at it today, we see it's still a mess. It's that conflict, that 2,000-year-old conflict, and actually much longer than that year-old conflict, it's that conflict that the Apostle Paul is dressing, addressing in this text. See, in Paul's day, it was just as bad as it is today. There were basically, as they would look at the world, there were two groups of people that existed. There were Jews, those descendants of Abraham, whom God, according to his Bible, had selected and said he would reveal himself through them, who had been given the law of Moses, and they tried to live by it. And they were marked, and this is the verse we read, marked by a rite called circumcision. So they called themselves the circumcision. And then there were the Gentiles. The Gentiles were everybody else on earth. Everybody that was not a Jew is a Gentile. So two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, just like today. And these two groups hated each other, like they do today. They hated each other. In fact, church history tells us this, that in the Apostle Paul's day, it was not even lawful for a Jew to aid a Gentile woman in giving birth. For that would bring, these words, bring another heathen into the world. Can you imagine such hatred? You could not help somebody at the most basic need that all humanity has. So Gentiles and Jews, they hated each other. But I want you to think about Bible history with me for a minute. In the midst of this hate that had been established for thousands of years before Paul's time, before Jesus' time, in the midst of this hate, this Jewish carpenter named Jesus shows up on the scene. And he claims to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And 
claims to be the Savior of the world. And he goes around teaching about the kingdom of God and, and he heals those who are sick and he performs all kinds of unbelievable miracles that could only come from God. And because the religious crowd is threatened by him, they kill him by nailing him to a cross, turning him over to the Gentiles and they nail him to a cross. And that one that they nailed to the cross and buried in a tomb, he rises from the grave and he proves that he is who he said he is. He really is the son of God. And his Jewish followers, that's who followed him, were Jews, begin to spread the news about him far and wide. They're like, this guy that showed up, who really was this carpenter, we didn't know who he was, but he really is the Son of God, because he did the miracles that God validated by raising him from the dead, and we've all seen him after he's alive again. And this Jewish crowd of people starts understanding and begins to spread this news that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, something happens. Something that I don't think any of them ever probably really thought about. There were some unintended consequences of this situation. You know what happened? As they began to spread the gospel message about Jesus, telling about who Jesus is and what he had done, some of those no good, rotten, terrible, stinking, non-Jewish Gentiles heard the word. That's what they thought. They hated him. They heard the message about Jesus and they recognized it was true and they started following Jesus saying, he's the son of God and we can follow him too. Well, that caused quite a stir. At first, most of the Jews, those of the circumcision, thought that it was impossible for a Gentile, a non-Jew, to have any right relationship with God. They could not have their sins forgiven and come into a right relationship with God and be part of the kingdom through Jesus as their Savior. That is, it didn't make sense. But then their leader, a guy named Peter, told them about a vision he had on a rooftop one day and how God had told them that he should lead the Gentiles into the kingdom of God and that what God had said is clean, don't ever say isn't clean. He said, bring them in. Then some other Jews thought that maybe it was possible for Gentiles to be saved, just possible, they could be right with God, but they believed that they would have to keep all the Old Testament Jewish laws. And, and so, but the Christian leaders thought about that and they got together, and it talks about what I'm referring to in, in Acts 15, and they met in Jerusalem and they prayed and they discussed it and they looked for God's wisdom and they concluded, you know what, any Gentile, any person could come to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ and they didn't have to keep the Jewish ceremonial and sacrificial laws. They could come just as they are. And then the biggest Gentile hater of them all, this Pharisee named Saul of Tarsus, comes face to face with the resurrected Jesus as he's on his way to imprison and kill Christians, and he gets converted to following Jesus. And he begins a ministry of helping Gentiles also come to know Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God. And that Jew, who we now know as the Apostle Paul, he comes to Jesus and he says, I I'm, I'm, was Saul of Tarsus, now I'm Paul. He's the one who wrote the letter we read just now. He writes to his dear friends in Ephesus, which is the letter we're reading, and he lets them know that there really is a path to peace between people. He had experienced it. He said there's a path to peace even between people who hate each other. 
And I think he thought this way, even between people who basically have just been taught to hate each other. Friends, this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this section of of Ephesians, the letter he wrote to the Ephesians. He reminds the Gentiles that at one time, they were the arch enemies of the Jews and the God. Look what he says in verse 12. It's exactly what he's saying. He's saying to Gentiles, you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, those things coming from God, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, he says spiritually they were lost and they were doomed and they had no idea how to find help. Because the help that they needed came through the message that God had given to the Jews and they said you are excluded from that. So two groups that hate each other. One group, the Jews, have, according to this, and the rest of the scripture, have a road map from God. A road map to how they walk in right relationship with God at that time. But what we find from history is they generally refuse to follow the road map. And in pride and arrogance, they believe it's only for them. And then there's the other group, the Gentiles. Wishing they knew how in the world to follow God but don't have a clue on how to do that, and certainly didn't believe that it could come from those arrogant, rotten Jews. All they had was hate. Paul lays out that picture. But then, Paul goes on to explain how these haters became lovers of each other and how they now have peace. Look at verses 13 through 15. It's exactly what he's talking about. He says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who formerly were far off or divided have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one group, one new group. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall that was between them by abolishing in his flesh, his body, the enmity or the anger, the strife, which is the law of commandments, the old Jewish law, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, in Jesus, he might make the two into one new man, thus creating peace. You see, we need to notice that Paul here gives a pathway to finding peace. And his pathway to peace has basically just two, ro- two stepping stones in the pathway to peace. And I want to point these things out on what Paul says. These are the two things you need to establish peace And then we'll kind of try to show how we apply those after we point them out. The first thing that Paul points out is this. He says, real peace will only be accomplished in Christ. Look at verse 13. It says, in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The only thing that truly leads to peace in our lives and in this world is people being brought together in Christ. There used to be a bumper sticker that was on cars that expressed this really well, and I had us put it up here. This is a bumper sticker that, in some form or another, you've probably seen in the past, or a, sl- a, sl- a saying, a slogan, that at one point, maybe back in the 70s, was kind of around a lot. Remember this statement? No Jesus, N-O Jesus, if there's no Jesus, there's no peace. But if you know Jesus, you can know peace. That's what this is talking about. That came from this. That bumper sticker and that saying, that plaque that was on some of your walls, came from what Paul is teaching here. Know Jesus, you can't have peace. If you know Jesus, you can know, you can experience, you can have peace. 
Friends, there's a reason for this. There's a reason for this that, that I would say this, that all the education and all the social engineering in the world can never undo. It's the reason why this is true and no other path is true to peace. Because this is just the reality of life and it goes like this. People are sinful. They're sinners. And sinners are selfish. And selfish people use and abuse other people. And used and abused people can never live in peace. You understand that? People are sinners. Sinners are selfish. Selfish people use and abuse other people. Used and abused people cannot live in peace. You see, all the peace talks in the world have never and can never lead to real peace. Because this is true about humanity. You can do your best and say, oh, if we draw the line over here to this country, then we'll have peace. If you give me this concession, then we'll have peace. None of that works. Because it doesn't deal with the heart of man. And it doesn't lead to true peace. True peace is only possible when people are transformed on the inside. By the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit as a result of committing their lives to following Jesus Christ. Because what the Bible says happens to you then is you're not defined as a sinner anymore. Do you still fail and do you still sin? Yes, you will. But you have a choice. You have a choice to now line up with the very character of God. You've been set free from the bonds of sin when you come to Christ. And you have a choice that people who have not been set free do not have. Because only then in Christ is there the possibility of people exhibiting the love that is called the fruit of the Spirit towards one another which is essential for peace. See, no Jesus, N-O Jesus, no peace, no N-O peace. But no Jesus, have him transform your life on the inside, let the love of Christ begin to blossom inside of you, you can experience peace and you can know peace between you and other people. Church, this is true for families as well as for nations. To have peace, you must have Jesus. So the first thing needed for real peace is for those involved to be, as Paul says here, and it says all through Ephesians, to be in Christ, in part of Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing, so there's two stepping stones. The second thing follows from this and is found in verse 14. It says, He himself is our peace. Listen to what he's saying here. Who made both groups into one. You know, he talks about how he did it and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing the law of commandments. So the second thing is this. Once in Christ, in order to have peace, we must break down the walls that divide. That's what Jesus did. He broke down the old sacrificial system that was designed to literally, not only spiritually, but physically separate Jews and Gentiles, and restricted them from ever coming together. Before Jesus came, Gentiles were not even allowed in the Jewish temple. But what did Jesus do when he died and he rose again? He tore the veil in the temple in two from top to bottom, giving access to all people to God's kingdom. Jesus tore down the wall that divides This is how he did it. He says, you know what, guys? This is what they talked about in Acts 15, what I referred to earlier. You know what, guys? There's no need for all these ceremonies and these sacrificial laws of Judaism anymore. He said, I've fulfilled them all. I've done away with them all. He says, in his 
flesh. He said, I'm the perfect sacrifice that fulfills all that. You don't need that anymore. He said, that used to separate. We don't want it anymore because it divides. And the reason I point this out is because I need you to see something. It's this. Even when people are in Christ, there is still more that must be done to establish peace. And the evidence of that is that in America, they say the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning. That we segregate in churches. Now, that's one thing in churches like ours where we live in a community that we, the demographics of Port Washington, 99% white. 1% other. And so it's a little different, but we have different segregations. We have economic segregations. We have educational separations. And the church world often divides along those lines, and, and that's not God's plan. You see, even when people are in Christ, there is still more that must be done to establish peace. There are walls that need to be torn down. And I want to explain what I mean by telling you about a church where this is working very well in a very visible way. It's the reason I'm using it. It's a visible way in that church because of their uniqueness of their location. I believe it's also happening at Portview. I think we have great diversity for our community. We have young and old. We have people with more resources and less resources. We have people with great education and low education. We, have, we really represent that very well as a church. But there's a church that a friend of mine pastors that it, it visually illustrates this in a way that I think we can see And it gives some insight into what I'm talking about and what Paul is talking about. In Milwaukee, a friend of mine pastors a church called Evangel. And some of you actually have a history in that church when it was quite a bit different than it is today. Evangel is a lot like other churches in many ways. They do similar ministries. They have church staff. They deal with some of the same financial and human relationship problems that all other churches do. But in one way, Evangel is very different than almost all other churches in the entire Milwaukee metroplex. Um, and really different than most churches in the nation. See, in their church, that is just a little bit bigger than ours, so let's put it in context. It's just a little bit bigger than our church on a Sunday morning. Not much bigger at all. They have just a few more people than this. In that congregation, normally, so today this is going on right now, there are people from 23 different countries that come together to worship. Now, I'm not talking like this, that you could say, well, I have a history that I'm half German, and half Swedish. And what nationality are you? Also, we're the same. Okay. And who's one non-German or Swede? What are you? Polish. I'm not referring to that. Because you know what? I was born here. And you were born in America. And you were born in America. Um, I'm talking about that evangel just down the road on Good Hope Road. That they have people, first generation immigrants from 23 different countries that worship together every single week. These, now, here's the interesting thing. These people are from countries that some of those countries don't get along very well. They have the same things as the Jews and the Gentiles. They're countries that are right now in political upheaval between each other. Some of them even have a history of hating one another. But at Evangel, they all gather together, and they worship, and they serve, and they celebrate. And they do this... In a city, understand this, let's a little more context here. In the city of Milwaukee, which whether you know this or not, is known as the most racially divided city in America. Did you know that Milwaukee, that's the, that's the, that's the, the uh, distinction of Milwaukee? It has been since the 80s, maybe even the 70s. It's been known, and still is, as the most racially divided 
as far as we have our own little sections, city in America. So here's the question. How does Evangel Church have 23 different people groups? Of course, they live in the areas. They have to be there. We don't have that here. Um, how do they do that in a, con- in a community that's known for, for, for ethnic and racial dividing? How do they live in peace? Well, first, they're in Christ. The place where they are finding peace is the church. And the only way people ever really find peace is through the influence of Jesus in their lives, his love, loving through them towards other people. So they got that part down, but so do a lot of other churches. They have that part down. But there's another reason. It's the second part that I talked about. They intentionally tear down the walls that could divide them. I asked Pastor Jay, who's a good friend of mine, how they do that. And he said it like this, and if you know Jay, some of you do, this is just the way he talks and the way he would say it. He goes, we work really hard to bust, this is his quote, to bust down old thinking. He said, we work really hard to bust down old thinking. And he gave me an example of what he meant by that. He said, some of the people in their church are from the nation of India, where there is this, if you don't know anything about India, there's this caste system where people are born into a particular level of society that cannot be changed. You are born poor, you stay poor. You're born rich, you stay rich. That's their thinking, that you are cast into a certain strata of society. But when those people come to know Jesus Christ, they know that they need to bust down that old thinking, so they do something in their churches, he said in India, and the the spirit of it is translated over into their church. They regularly wash each other's feet like Jesus did with his disciples, where we talk about it as a symbolic thing, they do it in their church services. And he says they intentionally have the rich washing the poor's feet and one ethnic class washing the other ethnic class's feet. So they do that on purpose, all to break down the walls that, that have divided them and historically divide them and could still divide them in their church. He says they want to teach that they are now all, so he said, on equal spiritual Ground. There used to be a, a saying that was born on the church, the, foot, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's what he's talking about here. No upper crust, no lower crust. No caste system in Christ. And Jay said that they continually do this in their church in Milwaukee. He said not feet washing, but looking for any ways that their church culture may be causing divisions among themselves. He said, or this, or pitting them against one another or against members of their community that they're trying to reach for Christ. And he gave me an example, and it's a very applicable example that will make sense to us right now. He said, for for example, in in their church, they have a a high level of African Americans. He said, they have a lot of people that were really pushing him to celebrate Black History Month, which is like June, right? Something like that this summer. Black History Month. He said, matter of fact, I know a sister church that's in there, and they, man, they make a big deal out of Black History Month. And their church is 99.9% African American. Okay? This church's plan is to be multicultural. And so Black History Month comes along. And they've got a good percentage of their church that says, hey, pastor, we need to celebrate Black History Month. It's part of our culture. We need to do it. And they went back and forth about it, and him and the elders decided, nope, we're not going to celebrate Black History Month. Because they wanted to focus in their church. They're like, hey, celebrate Black History Month at home. Celebrate it at at, at school. We don't care. We're not opposed to it. But in this church, in the body of Christ, they wanted to focus on unity in Christ, 
not on their differences racially or politically. They wanted to focus on unity in Christ. They wanted to tear down walls that have historically divided them. Friends, that's how they have 23 people from 23 different nations worshiping on Sunday morning today. Church, this is what I know. We all want peace. We want peace in our homes. We want peace in our churches. And praise God, we have peace at Portview. We really do. I think it's a defining quality of our church. We live at peace. We want peace in our community. We want peace in our world. The Apostle Paul here shows us how that can be. He says, start by elevating Jesus and then tear down the walls that divide you. So how could we apply this in our lives? Well, it starts by each of us truly living lives in Christ. Not just being religious bystanders, but being all in. Because unless you're all in, Jesus doesn't change your heart from the inside out. You can be a religious bystander and stay as crabby and mean as you were the first day you met Jesus. You can. But it's not God's plan for your life. God's got something so much better. So much better. I've got to tell you, friends, living defined by anger and living apart from anger, I'll choose living apart from anger. Because for many years of my life, I was defined by anger. And Jesus has changed that. Oh, it's so much better to live with peace, letting Jesus transform you. Moms and dads, you know what? Grandmas and grandpas, make your highest priority to influence your children and your grandchildren to live with Jesus as the core of their life. Jesus as the heart of everything they do. Live it, express it, and then pass it down because your life is the thing that passes it down. And then after that, that's the first stepping stone. And then it's up to us to be willing to give up some things and tear down our old thinking. Those things that cause me to elevate myself or push someone else down or separate us from one another. Things that could divide even though we're all in Christ. And I was thinking about this, and Harold, you're going to appreciate this. It's a funny example, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. That just maybe I could root for the Packers without ripping on the Bears. That's what he's talking about. That just maybe I could root for the Packers without ripping on the Bears. That might be a silly illustration, but that's the idea of what's being talked about here. Sure, vote for one political party, but you don't have to rip down and destroy the other one. Just maybe you shouldn't post that article bashing Barack Obama or bashing Ben Carson. Want to tell a little secret? It's between us. It doesn't change anything when you post that anyways. It just causes division. It just causes... I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved. I'm just saying you can be involved and present something without having to destroy the other people. See, God's plan is for us to live in peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I didn't say Jesus is the prince of politics or the prince of sports or the prince of... He's the prince of peace. And when he said in John, John 17, his high priestly prayer, when he prayed his final prayer for us, and he said for not only for us, those back then, disciples, but all disciples that would ever follow, you know the one thing he prayed for you and me? Is that we'd be one as he and the Father are one. This week I had an incredible opportunity to experience this. 
When I was in Wichita in this class, I'm in this two-year class on spiritual formation. It's run by a Quaker. It's at a Quaker college. He attends a Methodist church. In my group, it's limited to 25 people. And it was actually, they allowed 26 in. In the 26 of us, I was Assemblies of God. A bunch of them were Presbyterians. Some were Methodists. Some were Quakers. Some were Brethren. Some were United Church of Christ. Some were Methodist. Some were Lutheran. Some were YWAM. That's who they're affiliated with. Some were Foursquare. And we spent from 7.30 in the morning to 9 o'clock being fed with a water hose theology on unity and being shaped by Christ. And the highlight of it, on Thursday night, we celebrated communion together every night. Interesting, it was hard for me, because not, not hard doctrinally, but it was hard for me because they kept calling it the Eucharist. And I'm not used to being called the Eucharist. <laughs> you know. And uh, so it's, it's the Lord's Supper. And we gathered around the last day, and, it was, and all our worship time, our morning worship and our evening worship was liturgical. Meaning they followed a liturgy. And you sing, sing off a piece of paper. They, don't sing, they didn't sing off reading words off a screen. And the last day, we... Now remember, we're all in Christ. And I can say this without a doubt. I talked to every one of them people. They were in Christ. I talked to the United Church of Christ pastor. And I'm like, I got a question for you, man. I know what your group believes. And he said, you know what? I'm not like my group. He goes, Jesus is the core of my and he was. I spent a lot of time with that guy. He, Jesus, he was all for Jesus. He goes, so don't, he didn't say this, but he's basically saying, don't judge me by other people who've chosen to walk away from Jesus. So I'm saying we were all in Christ. But on Thursday night, which is our last night together, we're taking the Eucharist, Lord's Supper. And we did something that probably was not acceptable in, in that type of tradition. Really, we all gathered around on their altar, we get, which is, they call their, their platform their altar, and in the middle is a table, and we gathered around in a circle. And the director of the weekend we had and her assistant served communion to each one of us on this, in this circle. And we sang a song together before we had communion, a song of unity. And it was a traditional song of the church. can't remember what it is right now. I'd heard it before back in my wee childhood days when I was a Lutheran. <laughs> and I recognized it, and I could sing it, but I, didn't, I hadn't sang it in 50 years. And we're singing it, and I'm looking around the room, and honestly, I thought this. So first of all, I looked across the room at a guy who's from Southern California, and he's looking at me, and he's grinning from ear to ear. He's 34 years old. He's a software genius guy, big ranking job. He travels doing software development for companies. He's there because him and his brother, his brother a, a, a heads a nonprofit Christian organization that develops orphanages, and they're together at it. And he's beaming. And I, could, I knew exactly what he was thinking. He's like, this is Revelation 5 and 7. And I said to him later, I said, that's what you were thinking, weren't you? He goes, yeah. Every tribe and tongue and nation. But more than every tribe and tongue, because for the most part, we were pretty white. We had a Hispanic Presbyterian from, from, um, from uh, Philadelphia. But other than that, we were pretty white. But it was something way, way, way more divisive than black and white in that room. There was Presbyterian and Assemblies of God, and Nazarene, and on and on and on, and Lutheran, and Methodist, and we went around that circle. And I sat there, and I was taking communion, and I said, 
this is the plan. This is the plan. And I'm smirking from ear to ear. I'm like, no, it's just me and the guy from California looking at each other. The rest are just doing communion. I'm like, don't you guys get it? We're living out Revelation 7 right now because this never happens in the church world. The same where in Christ happens, but the willingly tearing down walls. So I said one to one Presbyterian. He's about 75-year-old Presbyterian that was there. His name was Bud. Bud. I loved Bud. Bud's been at the same church for 32 years. Presbyterian church. Also interesting from Philadelphia. These guys were three, three Presbyterians from Philadelphia. None of them knew they were all going to the same thing. And two of them knew each other really well. They're like, what are you doing here? This is not a Presbyterian thing at all. It's as weird as if somebody's a God guy being there. And I said to Bud, we sat in the airport, I had to wait like five hours for my flight to leave town, and all of them did. You can't get out of Wichita. Let me tell you that. There's not many planes that leave Wichita. And I said, Bud, I know some people struggled a little bit with that you guys are liturgical, and the guys who've been led it are not real liturgical, and they did their best to be liturgical, but I know they didn't do a lot of things the way it's supposed to be done. And I said, I know this one, one guy I had met, um, United Church of Christ guy, who's got a heart for God. He said, I said, how do you think? He said, oh, this, is, this is a challenge for me. I said to Bud, I said, Bud, what do you think that it's this liturgy and you guys live and die by this liturgy and we're not exactly doing it right? And I said, we don't use a liturgy at all. And I love Bud. He's sitting in the airport. He's a little kind of frail guy. He's got his arms crossed and he goes, they just need to get over it. <laughs> and I said, praise the Lord. He was saying, do not let something that should not divide us, divide us. Friends, there's all kinds of things we let creep into the church world that divide us, not only divide us, because what can happen as a church, we can just gather a whole bunch of people who agree on the exact same things, and we say, oh, isn't that wonderful? We're living in unity. But we live in a whole community. Now, I'm not saying we ever compromise any of our biblical faith or beliefs. You know me better than that. I'm saying there's certain things that divide. And so Bud was right. Bud's like, you just got to get over it. Jay would say you got to bust down old thinking. There's a lot of times things that we were fighting for stuff that is, that is good, it's cultural, but it's not biblical and it's not the church. And I'm saying the church. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying if I can bring together a bunch of knothead Jews and Gentiles, you know what he'd say today? Just maybe I can bring together some Democrats and Republicans. That's what he would say. If he could bring together a united Church of Christ guy and an Assemblies of God guy, Miracles never cease to happen. That's miraculous for that to happen. Bud was right. Just get over it. A non-essentials. One of the guys, a Presbyterian, who was brilliant, was sitting next to him a little bit younger than me, well, quite a bit, probably 10 or 15 years younger than me, but brilliant. He's in a church. He serves a church that's 275 years old. It predates the Revolutionary War in Philadelphia also. I'm like, you guys are all from Philadelphia. Three of them were. And uh, we were talking, and he was having just a hard time tracking because his whole weekend was just theology. Taught by guys like Scott McKnight, who is the leader in the world right now of teaching on what the gospel is. He's an Anglican. Raised in a United Pentecostal house by a United Pentecostal grandma, and now he's an Anglican. How do you get that? And I'm talking to this guy named Dan. 
And I could tell Dan was like, oh, I'm trying to process this thing because this ain't lining up with what I believe. And I said, Dan, what do you think about this? And Dan said, I've got to go back and consult what Calvin would have to say about this. And I said, may I make a suggestion? It wasn't controversial at all. It wasn't combative. He goes, sure. I said, how about if we ask what Jesus or Paul had to say about that? He goes, whoa, 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 that, that's what I'm saying. I said, no, it's not. It's not what you're thinking. You're saying, what's my organization think? I said, that's fine to have a structure, to have a systematic theology, but why don't we ask this question we're together? What did Jesus and Paul say about that? He's like, you know, you're right. So friends, I'm saying this. It takes effort to give up, be willing to give up some things that you just want to be defined by and to tear down old thinking. But God's plan for his church. Matter of fact, the reason why the church, I believe this, and this is nothing new for me, the reason why the church is ineffective in our culture and around the world is because of this one issue. Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by the great buildings you build. Is that what he said? You'll know you're my disciples because you sing hymns. Oh, no, no, no. You sing contemporary worship with guitars and drums. Oh, he didn't say that either. You'll know you're my disciples by your what? Your love for one another. He didn't say your love for love songs. He didn't say your love for your church. He said your love for one another. The mark of Jesus' true church is dissimilar people joining together. Jews and Gentiles being made one in Christ. Jesus said, I tore down the wall that divides you. How dare we rebuild them? Right? How dare we rebuild them? God's plan is for us to live in peace. This I know. We can live in peace in our families. We can live in peace in our churches if we live in Christ and tear down the walls that divide us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you don't let us dangle, come to conclusions on our own, that you have given us a foundation from which to build upon, and it's your word. Matter of fact, Lord, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, that's exactly what you said. You talked about life in the kingdom, and you said, now if you listen to me, you're wise, and you'll stand. If you don't listen to me, you'll fall. And God, we want to be a church, and we want to be people. We want to be a nation that stands whatever storms come our way. And what we see from your word is one of the ways to stand is we cannot be divided. Because a house divided cannot stand And so, Lord, give us wisdom into knowing what are those things that we cannot allow to divide our families and our churches and our nations and our communities. And what are those things that are just rock-solid biblical that you say to stand for and upon? We admit this. We need wisdom. So give us wisdom, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And that we believe this, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to walk in a path to peace. Thank you, Lord, for being so incredibly good to us. Thank you that you're here today to wash our mind and renew it by your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen.